Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're both into like true crimes. That's gonna be our theme song. It'll just be just a that. silent recording of me going, Ooh, and it'll be flat and out of tune every time. That's good. This is mystery murder. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Uh, it's Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Do not understand my reference. I, I didn't get it now. I was just gonna smile and nod. And I'll show you. I'll show along. you that vine someday. You two love your vines. It's a vine. Yeah, they live on forever. It's Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, I remember that one. What was it? Welcome to Chili's. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Chili's. <laughs> the yeah. little skinny white kid. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Oh, that was good. Hey, so welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. Mystery Murdery Thingy. Mario. My name's Chloe. We're coming to you a little bit late this week. Sorry. Life got in the way. Life got in the way. Life finds a way. Sorry, I've, wa- I've been wanting to say that for like two days. <laughs> like, I'm going to make that joke from Jurassic Park when we do our thing. You were thinking about it? You were, like, pre-planning it? It was even worse than I thought it would be. Good. Even you didn't laugh at it. (laughs) I gave you sympathy laughs. Thank you. But I only give you sympathy laughs. You are obligated. Obligated. Um, so, this is Mystery Murdery Thingy, where we talk about something that's a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy, or... All things mysterious. Sometimes all three. Yes. So, what are you going to start... Do you have a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? Mine is, I would say, more of just a mystery. Mine is definitely a mystery murdery. Okay, I'll go first again. I always seem to go first. That's okay. I don't care. Do I just feel mean? like we should start light and end dark. <laughs> right? Quote, unquote, light, Or dark. wait, should we do the opposite? We should do the opposite. So you go first. Okay, I will go first. Okay, all right, I got sit it, back got it, got and... it. Listen. Sit back, listen, relax, whoopsies. All right. 
So I am doing the disappearance of a man named Charles C. Morgan, okay. aka Chuck. A common nickname. Sure. For Charles. Chuck Schumer. Um, Charlie Brown, Chuck. Chucky from the movie uh, Child's Play. Is his name Charlie? Do they ever call him Charlie? I assume so. I mean, it's probably what his mom calls him. Does is Charlie in It's Always Sunny ever referred to as Chuck? Not that I can recall. <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. Okay. So, uh, Chuck Morgan was a successful businessman who owned an escrow company uh, over in Tucson, Arizona. So, the story begins on March 22nd of 1977. He left his home to drive to his two daughters to school, and he never came back. He didn't come back until three days later. Mm. He came back at his home at two in the morning. He was unable to speak, and he communicated with his wife through pen and paper, stating that he had been kidnapped and tortured. And so this is, this is a quote from his wife. She says, I was in bed and the dog started barking. I got up, went to the door, and opened it, and there was Chuck. He was missing his shoe and had one plastic handcuff around one ankle and... <clears throat> pardon and a set around his hands. When he motioned to his throat and didn't say a word, I asked him, can you talk? Can you write? He shook his head, yes. So I went and got a tablet and a pen. He wrote that his throat had been painted, painted with a hallucinogenic drug and that the drug could drive him irrevocably insane or destroy his nervous system and kill him. I wanted to call a doctor and the police, but he was adamant that that would be signing a death warrant for the entire family. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. He then asked Ruth to move his car, stating that he didn't want, quote, them to know that he had made it home, but he never, he never, he never explained to her who they were. Right. And so as time goes on, um, he's, his wife nursed him back to health uh, for, for one week by feeding him with an eyedropper. I'm not really sure how that works. Like a little baby bird. Like a little baby bird. Aww. <laughs> That's precious. Stop. <laughs> um, so before his voice returned, he started to make claims um, that Ruth didn't really, really understand, but um, it suggested that he had some kind of secret identity and that he had been working as an agent for the federal government. He claimed that they took his treasury identification and that was the first time that Ruth had heard of any such thing. It was the first time he was mentioning something like this. So, <clears throat> during the next few months, Chuck became super paranoid, like, rightfully so. Uh, he would drive his daughters to and from school, and he even notified the school that, like, I am the only person who's supposed to be picking up my girls. Um, just in case, you know, some, something were to happen to them. Right. He also began wearing a bulletproof vest. Two months later, he vanished again. Um, and shortly before this, he told his father that he, if he were ever to disappear, that there was a letter that he had written of who would be responsible if, uh, for this disappearance. But mm -hmm. it was, um, the letter was never found. It was Ooh. like a piece of evidence that they hmm. never recovered. So they, it's, that's why it's still also a mystery. Like, right. they don't know. Right. Um, so this is where things get even more interesting. This kind of has a lot, lots of layers to it. Um, nine days later, Ruth received a random phone call from a woman 
she said, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes, I believe that's how it's said. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. So what I did, I ended up looking up the verses, and it's kind of confusing. I mean, it's confusing because everything about the Bible is confusing. But I read some analyses on the subject, and um, so it's basically referring to old age and death. So I'm just going to read some of it and then explain... um, what it says, because I think this is a very interesting part of the puzzle. Cool. So, um, verses 1 through 8, so starting with verse 3, it says, In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. And so, uh, the strongest man will be bowed if he lives long enough. Um, the tremble could be for, for weakness or for fear of his last days. Um, the hands and arms which protect the body as guards do a palace shake in, in old age. So like your hands and your arms, you know, shake when you're older. Um, the legs like supporting pillars weakened and the grinders are the teeth and they seize because they are few as you get older. Um, 12, five also when they shall be afraid of that, which is high, um, Aging become fearful of heights. That's what that means. Um, and you are not, as you get older, you're not sure of yourself as you were in your in your youth. Um, so as you get older, um, fear is something that becomes more so because you're getting close uh, to, to death. Right. Um, and then verses six and seven are, are literally speaking of death. And it says... Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. The silver cord being loosed and the bowl being broken is speaking of the life of a man being over or poured out. Age has cut him off from life, and the water of life now does not flow. So this is interesting because on the one hand she says everything's fine, but on the other hand these verses seem very ominous. Yes. And... You know, it seemed to to indicate quite the opposite. Yes. Unless you you say he oh he's fine, in, in the sense of like oh he's with God. Yeah. You know he's in a better place or something. I mean, that because it just doesn't really those two things don't compound with one another. It's very right? spooky. Yeah. Um, so two days after this phone call, um, Chuck was found shot to death in the desert. <laughs> even though he was wearing his bulletproof vest. He had been shot once in the back of the head, execution style, and the gun was laying right beside him. The police found a note with directions to the crime scene in his handwriting, so, like, somebody had probably contacted him or called him saying, meet me at this place. Right. And and there were also uh, sunglasses found there that didn't belong to him. So before I get into what they found next, Mm -hmm. I want to do some context. Okay. Um, I'm going to point out the fact that during this time, Tucson, Arizona was a huge place for organized crime. Sure. The mafia um, established it as a like a huge place for narcotics, a, narcotic, a narcotics pipeline, and it right. was a haven for for money laundering and smuggling and sure. all these types of things. And it was this, and it was this. It was easy because at the time there was a state law. This is in the 70s, late 70s. There was a state law which allowed anyone to buy up land through. Um, 
numbered blind trust accounts. Ooh. Yeah, so this way Sounds money... Sounds like a money launderer's dream. <laughs> yeah, money, it could be laundered and then it couldn't be traced that yeah, way either. exactly. So that's why it was such... It was like the place to be. Mm. And um, Chuck was this escrow um, businessman who right. was doing these deals um, and making all of this money and um, also... Uh, transferring all of this money through mm. different groups of people and different. So in, in other words, if he wanted to be involved in money laundering, he was kind of the perfect, you know, um, what's the analogy I'm trying yeah. to use? The the spoke in the middle of the yeah. wheel or whatever, you know. Yeah, and he was more on the outside of it in that um, he wasn't the direct. He was more being used as a tool. He was a middleman. He was a middleman. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Sure. And he even said to his wife, when she would ask more questions, he would say, the less that you and the girls know is mm. better. This is all reminding me very much of Breaking Bad. For I'm real? I'm like really wondering if like Vince Gilligan and, um, uh, forget the other creator's name, but yeah, I'm wondering if they took any of their stuff from this. Because this whole thing of like going away for a couple of days and coming back and like claiming that you were, uh, you know, abducted. I mean, I don't want to spoilers, but... I mean, Breaking Bad's been out for, like, ten years. But I know, and I haven't seen it. I know you haven't seen it, so I don't <laughs> want to give, give away too much. But there's just some aspects of it that are, like, reminding of it, which is interesting. So, Morgan had been doing real estate escrow for work for at least one mafia family, and... Um, so he was definitely connected to the yes. mob. We know that, yes. to some extent. Okay. Yes. Um, and it possibly helped him with the purchase of purified gold bars and platinum, and this was also a more convenient way to launder money anyway. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, moving on. So, back to the crime scene. They found his body. Um, clipped to his underwear when he was found was a $2 bill. Written on it were seven Spanish names, beginning with the letters A through G. Above them was a notation. I still not Ecclesiastes. Yeah, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes twelve, with verses one through eight marked by arrows, and the arrows were drawn to the bill's serial number. So this was like some kind of weird code, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a, a cipher. On the back, there were the signers of the Declaration of Independence. You know how the two dollar bill has that whole picture on sure. the back. Um, they were numbered uh, one through seven. Each of the people. And there was a roughly drawn map leading to an area between Tucson and Mexico to the towns of Robles Junction and Salacity. Or Salacity, maybe? It looks like Salacity. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Salacity, maybe? Yeah. Um, and those were both known for smuggling. Mm. So it was di directions through some kind of um, weird code. So, and even though there was all of this weird evidence... The sheriff's department believed that his death was a suicide. They ruled it a suicide. Yeah. They ruled it a suicide? They ruled it a suicide. So he drove himself out, right? He drove himself out to the back, wait, wait, wait. to the so, desert. So, so in, their, in, in their view of things, he, he put on a bulletproof vest and then shot himself. In the back of the head. Just that. Just those two things put one against the other. That doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the thing. Um, there's just a lot of different connections. Good I'll right, keep okay. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two days after his death, an anonymous woman spoke to an officer for the Pima County Sheriff's Department on the on the phone. She called the 
the sheriff's department. She claimed that she was supposed to meet um, Chuck at a local motel shortly before he died. She claimed that her nickname was Green Eyes and that she was the same woman that had called Ruth several days earlier talking about the Bible. That's what I was wondering, yeah. Mm -hmm. She also claimed that at the motel, Chuck showed her a briefcase containing several thousand dollars in cash. He told her that that um, this money would buy him out of the contract that the mob had put on his life. Hmm. So after his death, um, this was a little bit later, his wife Ruth, Ruth was visited by two men who claimed to be the FBI. Here's another quote from her. Um, Wait, were their names Sam and Dean? <laughs> was there an Agent Beyonce? Agent Beyonce, <laughs> um, No. Okay. Uh, it says, they, she says, they opened and closed their identification very fast. They said they wanted to come in and look through the house. They never said what they were looking for, and to this day, I don't even know what they were looking for. And she states that they tore the house apart, and they never seemed to find whatever it was that they came for that they were looking for. So, theories. The main theory comes from... An investigative journalist who did a lot of research on the ca- on this case. His name is Don Devereaux. Um, he even contacted the FBI to get more information on Chuck Morgan, on everything about him. Mm-hmm. So he says they, when he contacted them, they never heard of Mr. Morgan, despite the fact that they obviously opened an investigation, despite the fact that the FBI interviewed Mr. Morgan's attorney. attorney. They were all over this thing like a blanket for a while, but now they've never heard of the heard of the guy. He never existed. No card, no file, no nothing. And Devereaux believes that the two dollar bill was a basis for some kind of code, and that code led to some kind of document. But like that document's missing. Mm-hmm. Like there's no. That's like the missing piece. Is like some some kind of extra clue that that's what the two dollar bill was was leading right, towards. Yeah. Like what is it? I mean. Exactly. And to this day, the case is still unsolved. Hmm. Nobody really knows what happened. Interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like they tried that hard. That's the thing. Hmm. See, it's with all of these, it's that he's like kind of in the system himself, right? right. Like if he was this secret FBI agent then he he failed them or whatever. And so therefore, his his secret identity, that agent, he wasn't supposed to be known in the first place. His and identity see that, isn't. That makes so. sense to me because I, I've definitely heard that there are instances where the government chooses not to pursue a case because pursuing it would reveal, you know, so-called, like, national security secrets yeah. or interests or whatever, like... They're basically allowed to, if if it involves classified stuff, just say, like, nope, it would be damaging to the national interest. We're not going to pursue justice in this case. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely plausible. Mm-hmm. Is that what you, what do you think? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I also but think he, that... But, I mean, clearly he was killed by these mobsters, right? I mean, yeah, but I also think maybe the mobsters has had some ins with the government as well. Because they were smuggling... At least maybe with the county sheriffs. Yeah, you know. at least with the county... They were smuggling all types of money. So what happened with that woman? Did you see anything more about her? Because that just no. seems weird that... Like, why did she make that call? Like, what did she mean? I don't know. <laughs> but like, she remained... I want to know. She, appara- <clears throat> she like, apparently remained anonymous. Huh. So they don't really know who green she eyes. is. Green eyes. Good old mm. green eyes. 
Yeah. Creepy, right? That's pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah. So I got my source from a TV show called Unsolved Myster- Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the episodes. So, yeah. Cool. That's my case. Interesting. Pretty uh, quick. Yeah. Uh, but it had a lot going for it, and there wasn't a lot of a lot on it. Like I right. couldn't even find like a Wikipedia page for it. I found like a wiki true crime unsolved like. So is this one of those page. where like people are still kind of looking into it? Yes. You know, kind of like what we were watching the keepers. You know, like those old ladies who were like still like trying to find out. You know what actually happened? Oh like, my Why gosh. it wasn't found out at the time? You know that documentary was so amazing and i highly it, recommend emotionally it. devastating it was emotionally you have to do it it's you can't i guess you can binge it but it's very it's hard it's hard it's draining yeah we recommend it to everybody the oh, keepers yeah, definitely. the keepers yeah yeah on netflix um it's about a whole cover up whole crazy cover up it's about a murder it's priestly murder priestly murder right. nunly well it was a nun who was murdered but yes but, oh my god, and there's a whole, there's so much depth to it. Because I just remember, like, watching that first episode. It's not and what then you the think it ep- is at the beginning. Exactly. And the second episode, we were like, oh, oh wow, that escalated right. so quickly. Yeah, like, oh, that, oh my god, this is, like, crazy. Yeah. Everybody go watch that. Yeah. And The Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal. Ooh, yeah, that was, that was a good, good. Zodiac, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, my turn. Okay, you ready? So, yeah, I'm ready. So, I'm going to do The Lost Colony of Roanoke, um, which we were talking about it in the car, and you were like, are you doing the Roanoke? Like, the... <laughs> yeah, it's, like, pretty famous. Well, the minute you were like, oh, like, mine's reference to Supernatural, and I was like, oh. I knew it. Exactly, exactly, I knew Because I was thinking about doing that, because we were talking about it in my right. American Family class. Oh, you were? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, but I don't know a lot of the, the real life details. All I know is what Sam and Dean say. So, which it, what obviously what they say on the show is not like really what happened, um, as you can imagine. So, in actuality, it was a colony that was established in uh, 1587. Okay. So this is like right at the beginning of when um, the English were really trying to start colonizing yep. North America. Um, but the Spanish were already there, so it'll be important later to know. And it was in a place called Dare County, North Carolina, which I'm assuming is named after, um, like, Virginia Dare, who's, like, a famous figure from this. Um, I think she, I think it was Virginia who was the first uh, English child who was born in North America. Yeah, Virginia Dare. So that's another interesting thing about this settlement. It's, it's, it's like, kind of historic because it, it was the first English child born in North America, and it led to the introduction of, like, tobacco and uh, maize and potatoes to England um, when they, they brought them back on one of the trips they made back to England. So it's kind of interesting in that way. So Queen Elizabeth I wanted to establish a permanent colony in North America, right? Mm-hmm. Partly, you know, to get money and partly to counter the Spanish uh, with whom they were, like, just about to start a war, the Anglo-Spanish uh, War. And this is where you, you hear about, like, the famous, like, Spanish Armada, mm-hmm. um, which creates a lot of issues for these people and, like, the English in general at that time. Um, because the at this point, the Spanish had, like, the best navy in the world. Um, so 
a lot of the um, colonists disappeared during the Anglo-Spanish War um, and kind of trying to set up this colony. They tried a few times, and it was just, like, beset by a lot of problems. So the, the original organizer, his name was Sir Humphrey Gilbert. And Sir Humphrey? I know. There's, there's a lot of uh, very, very English names in this. Sir Humphrey Gilbert. And he was drowned in 1583 on, a, on, on accident. Um, so his half-brother, Sir Walter Raleigh, who's like pretty famous in his own right, and ends up getting executed for treason late, later on, like 20 years down the road. Fun fact, What's there up? is a man at Bristol who plays Sir Walter oh, Raleigh. Oh, interesting, yep. interesting. So I know that. Right. I know things. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, so, keep going. That's okay. So Sir Humphrey Gilbert's half-brother, Sir Walter Raleigh, um, took up the charter, so Elizabeth basically told him, like, okay, Gilbert's dead, you go do it. You go set up this colony. Make me money, fight the Spanish, um, and you can have, like, whatever land you can, you know, take from the natives, or whatever, right? So, um, Raleigh himself never actually went to North America. Now, later on, he did go to South America to search for the golden city of El Dorado, you know, so I uh-huh. think, isn't there, like, a Disney movie about that? Yep. Which I'm sure, like, whitewashes all of the, you know, horrible, horrible things that yeah. I'm sure they did to the Native people. Um, but uh, that that's kind of a different, a different story. So, like I said, Queen Elizabeth, she wanted them to basically be, like, what are called privateers, which is basically, like, being a, pri- uh, a pirate. I almost said a priot. Being a pirate, but, like, it's okay because the government says, like, oh, you can be a pirate, but you're our pirate. <laughs> so go steal from that country. So It's okay. It's, it's okay. It's, it's just totally fine. cool. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was them. That's, like, kind of the, the guys who originally came with him. And so the first attempt, they arrived on Roanoke Island on July 4th, 1584, and they met a couple of the local tribes, the Sakotans and the Croatans. Um, and they actually... The what? Wait, sorry? The Croatans. It's not Croatoan, it's Croatan. Okay. Um, it's like the name of the, the native tribe there. And two of the members of that tribe actually went back to England and, and like, you know, did kind of like a cultural exchange, you know, like Pocahontas would do later from Jamestown with John Rolfe. Um, and then there was a second expedition, which was kind of like, okay, we've kind of scouted it out. Now we're really going to set up a colony. And that was in 1585. And they left with five ships. Um, one of them got separated off the coast of Portugal. Uh, but they had like this, um, you know, plan that if they got separated, they would meet up in Puerto Rico. So they get separated. Eventually they meet back up. Um, but in the meantime, they built this fort called Fort Elizabeth, which then they were forced to abandon because they ran out of supplies before the other ships arrived, and no one really knows where that is. And that's kind of a recurring theme in this, that, like, people try to set up a colony, they wait for, like, a shit ton of time to get more supplies, and then they end up abandoning it because they don't ever get the supplies. Um, and... Other issues that they had, right? Conflict between the native tribes and the British scouting out the area erupted when they, the British um, accused a native person of stealing like a silver 
goblet or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's not clear whether this ever actually happened, but they they said it happened, and in response, the British burned down a whole native village. Whoa. So, you know, pretty <laughs> overkill, right? Man, white people. I know. But, you know, this, this again, you know, this kind of emblematic of what they would do. So this obviously pissed off, like, those particular natives. Now, the Croatans and some other tribes were actually pretty friendly with the people. Because um, I think something else that people kind of forget in early American history is that each Native American tribe or nation was, like, not... It wasn't monolithic, right? They had different responses. Mm-hmm. Some of them were allied with the Dutch. Some were allied with the British. Some were allied with the Spanish. Some were allied with the French. Some didn't want to have anything to do with any of those. Some wanted to make peace with all of them. Mm-hmm. So it's like this kind of panoply, right? But obviously, if you go in and burn down one of their villages, <laughs> they're going to be pissed. Yeah. Not a good way to start off relations with the native peoples. For real. Um, so the natives uh, eventually attacked um, the, the colony in response to this. And um, the colonists who were left, a lot of them uh, went back to England with a passing ship that was led by Sir Francis Drake, who's also, you know, like, really famous explorer in his own right. Um, So that's when they brought the tobacco, the maize, and the potatoes back to England and introduced those back in England. So uh, eventually, finally, in 1587, a new group... Uh, this is like the shining hope. Like, finally, we're really going to do it. We're yeah. really going to set up this colony. <laughs> Here we are. It's going to be great. We're going to make all, find all the gold and kill all the natives for the glory of the queen. Um, so that's 1587, and it's 115 uh, people, men, women, and children, who established a colony. It, uh, originally, they were going to do it on Chesapeake Bay, led by an artist named uh, John White. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they tried to pick up the remaining people from that earlier settlement, like the ones who hadn't been killed by the natives or Mm -hmm. left with Sir Francis Drake, but they found only skeletons. (gasps) Everyone was dead. Right. But for some reason, they ended up establishing the colony there instead. So they were like... all the dead people were? Oh, there's all these dead people, but there's already buildings, I guess, is what they thought. I don't know. Seems like kind of a creepy thing. I don't know. Um, but that's what they decided to do. Um, so that ended up being the, the site of the, the Roanoke Colony, what's now known as like the Lost Colony. And obviously there were still some tensions with those natives with whom they had fought previously. Um, but there were some, some good things too, right? The first English child, like I said before, was born... Uh, her name was Virginia Dare. Um, so the colonists basically tell John White, hey, we're running out of supplies, right? Recurring theme. Um, things aren't going too well. You need to go back to England, uh, which, by the way, t- took, what, like six months back then? Yeah. Or a year, like, depending on the weather. So to I mean, just sail all the way, just casually, yeah, take it's, a trip it's, back. It, yeah, ex- exactly. I guess I wanted to just, like, reinforce that point. This was, like, a big deal. It wasn't just, like hey, like, go down to the corner store. It was like, no, go take, like, a trip where you might die or never come back or whatever. Um, Because he also left, like, in winter, in the winter of 1507. And back then, you didn't sail in the winter. You know, there was nor'easters. 
you know, the hurt, uh, well, hurricanes earlier in, in the season, but, you know, it was just, like, not a good time for sailing. So they were, like, really desperate. That's what that says to me. And um, when he got to England, um, he didn't want to sail immediately back because I think it was, like, the next winter. That's what mm-hmm. I'm assuming. He was also enlisted to fight the Spanish because at that point they were actually at war with the mm-hmm. Spanish. So that slowed everything down, right? They got embroiled with fighting the Spanish, blah, 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 all this stuff. They weren't actually able to get back um, to the Roanoke Colony with a supply ship for three years. So, I mean, I can't imagine, like, what it was like for those colonists who were just there every day, like, trying to eke out an existence, like, caught caught between the natives that they had pissed off and the ocean and, like, not being able to, you know, find food, I would imagine. Um, so they were, like, in a pretty desperate state, right, um, for those three years. So by the time White gets back, it's August of 1590. He mm-hmm. actually gets there on the third birthday of his granddaughter, Virginia mm-hmm. Dare, um, and found the settlement completely deserted. So no no bodies, no live people, all 90 women, 17 sorry, 90 men, 17 women and 11 children were all gone. No sign of conflict or battle. Um everything was dismantled, like all the houses and the fence and everything was all just like taken down, not like, you know, it was burned down, but, like, it was orderly, you yeah. know, kind of disassembled, right? Mm-hmm. And But just left there. So that's very strange because cl- clearly they weren't just driven out. Like, they somebody took the time. They all took yeah. the time to, like, dismantle the colony. It wasn't, like, a an attack or anything. It does not seem like there was an attack. Although that's one of the theories that we'll, we'll, we'll get into in a, uh, in a minute here. So the only thing that they did find was the word Croatoan carved into a fence post and the letters C-R-O carved into a nearby tree. And this word, if you remember, in Supernatural, yeah. you know. And uh, it also gets to one of the theories is that it was a Wendigo, which if you've watched Supernatural is like a recurring monster that comes up. But apparently the Wendigo was... Um, like a a spirit that some of the native tribes believed in that would just like take people away. You know, it was, it was kind of like an evil spirit that would come and get you if you're (laughs) out in the woods. Apparently the woods in North Carolina are very creepy. I never really went into the wood. Well, a little bit, but when I went to college there, but, um, apparently it sparked like many weird stories like that of like witches and, Ghosts and ghouls and goblins and such, <laughs> but apparently it's just because it's it's kind of a creepy place, you know, to live. It's it's creepy. That's my main point, I guess. Would be the creepiness. So the woods are they're what they're creepy. It's so creepy. You think they are scary? <laughs> so White had told them that like if there was any trouble and they had to leave to carve a cross onto a tree. He did not find that. Whoa. So what the hell happened, right? 
um, is the question that we're left with. Um, so there was a big storm coming when, when White came back to look a little bit afterwards. So they were forced to leave. And that's also kind of a recurring theme here is like either the Spanish attack or the natives attack or there's like a big storm whenever anyone tries to either like set up a colony or find out what happened. So like they just keep being stopped by these these different forces. So um, like I said before, Raleigh was eventually arrested for treason. So obviously he stopped sending missions out there. But in 1603, a man named Bartholomew Gilbert tried to find the colonists. So this is kind of the first real attempt to to like find where they where they went. Um, but again, bad weather got in his way. And his landing party was killed by natives, and the rest, like, were forced to leave and go back to England. The Spanish also tried to find the colony, because they they knew that it was, like, supposed to be a base from which to attack them. Mm -hmm. So, clearly, they wanted to find it. But, apparently, they also were never able to find it. They found, like, a small thing that might have been, like, the abandoned Fort Elizabeth... But they never found, like, the colony, and they certainly never found the colonists. So it's this whole group of 100-plus people just gone? Who just disappeared. That's so Basically bizarre. into thin air. So, you know, again, what happened? Like, the different theories. Um, so one theory is that they integrated with the local tribes, like the Croatan. When they couldn't find food, they just kind of, like, moved and moved in with the local uh, native peoples. And there were contemporaneous accounts and, like, throughout the intervening years of people seeing, like, white people among the natives Mm -hmm. in that area. And um, sometimes they're, like, living peaceably among them. And sometimes they're, like, the native people's slaves, basically, who they've taken and are forcing to, like, beat copper Mm -hmm. and and do, like, hard labor like that. Um, So there's kind of both kinds of stories. People also reported seeing European-style architecture being used among the natives in that area. So, like... So there was some influence on them. There seemed to have been some... Now, was that because they left to live with these people, or was it just kind of more the natural, you know, cultural give-and-take that humans have always engaged in? Who knows, right? Um, Another theory is that they were wiped out by the Spanish, but again... There was no sign of attack, you said. Right, when White went there. Now, one thing to also understand is that we don't know exactly where this was. So archaeologists are, like, exploring some different possible sites, um, like, up to today and Mm -hmm. starting in, like, 2015 or something. But no no one's actually in modern times ever seen the colony or, or the, you know, what was the, used to be the colony. But when White got there, yeah, there didn't seem to be any sign of a struggle or a battle or anything. So that, that doesn't really seem that convincing. There was also a hoax um, called the Dare Stones. They were found in the 1930s and 40s, and they were like stone tablets that were purported to be from Virginia Dare, where she had, like, carved in the story of what happened. Oh, my gosh. But But they were fake. fake. Like, they were basically proven to be fake. So people thought they had figured it out back in, like, the 30s. Yeah. But it was like, nah, that's actually a fake. That's, like, so sad. There's, like, a... He's, like, kid. I know, I know. Um, The first, um, you know, white American child, I guess. But um, there was also a map called the Virginia Pars map that was just recently re-examined. 
and there, there were like these um, patches that were put over a couple of places and they looked under them with like the x-ray technology or whatever mm-hmm. and they found markings that seemed to indicate the area where the lost colony was and that's where the archaeologists are looking right now and they've like found some intriguing stuff they've found some stuff that seems to indicate a presence by um english people like coins and things of that nature so they're they're pretty sure they they know kind of approximately where it was um another theory is that there was a horrible well they know that there was a horrible drought like during those three years it was basically the worst drought in an 800 year period that they that they looked at through a tree ring analysis and they think that, you know, just basically the conditions being so harsh caused them to not be able to get food and therefore, you know, basically to either go away or, or just to be, um, you know, just to kind of die off. Now, there's there's some other kind of more fanciful, um, more fanciful ideas that I found on this uh, article on, on Ranker. Um, one of those is this kind of connection with the word Croatoan. And apparently there's like different weird instances of that word, like showing up in, in, in weird places and at weird times. What? Um, so according to this article on Ranker, the events leading up to the death of Edgar Allan Poe are still a mystery. I'm quoting here. He disappeared for a spell. And when he was seen again, he was babbling incoherently in the streets Seemingly drunk, he was an alcoholic, but he wasn't just drunk, he was delirious. Allegedly, one of the things Poe whispered while on his deathbed in this mysterious state of delirium was the word Croatoan. So that's kind of creepy. Um, and I feel Wait, like is it is it true that like they don't know how he died? That's what I was gonna say too. I, I think at some point I want to do him as as a, a mysterious because it says they don't really know how he died. He just kind of disappeared. So I, I want to do that bizarre. one too. Um, so it's also been found at some other um, weird places. Apparently, it was scribbled into the journal of Amelia Earhart after her disappearance in 1937. No. No. Hey, it's according to Ranker. I feel like I would have heard about that when I was looking up her. I don't know. Horror author Ambrose Bierce vanished in Mexico back in 1913. The bed he slept in last had the word Croatoan carved into its post. Um, And also the notorious stagecoach robber Black Bart etched the word into the wall of his prison cell right before his release in 1888 and then was never seen again. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I think we should test it. I think we should write it on the wall in here and see if you find me in the morning. But first, we should go into the bathroom, look into the mirror, and say, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Um, and see what happens. That's going to be a huge no on my part. <laughs> um, no, thank No, thank you. Can we say, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice? Yeah, I feel like that would be more fun. Okay. I'd like to meet Beetlejuice. I know, right? <laughs> um, he seems like a fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> And the word Croatoan, this is the last one, was also written on the last page of the logbook of the notorious ghost ship Carol A. Deering back in 1921 when it ran aground on Cape Hatteras, um, right by what was once known as Croatoan Island. So it's actually oh. right in that same area. Like one of the places that they think they might have gone was, was Hatteras Island. So there are some other various ideas of what happened uh 
zombie apocalypse or they were taken away by aliens or killed by some sort of weird disease, but they demon seem... Blood. There was some demon blood mass, involved. Da- mass demonic possession. Some asshole angels. Yeah. Fighting with some equally assholish demons. Oh my god. Perhaps a couple of brothers from Kansas intervened at one point or another. I don't know. I can't say <laughs> But it is a goddamn mystery. That's a good can, one. Right? That's freaky. And I just can't... Like you were saying, it's it's really sad that like he got there three years later and it's like, where's my daughter? Where's yeah. my three-year-old granddaughter? Yeah. So, I mean, just like... I feel for, you know, John White and, like, the pain he must have gone through at that time, right? But it's also just, like, one of these, um, one of these, uh, great historical mysteries of, like, what actually happened. And it's one that I feel like we eventually could find out more about, because, like I said, they're doing that archaeological investigation. Good job. Thanks. So... Time for some weird, weird shit, shit in, in the, the news! news. <laughs> Our favorite segment. Our favorite segment. Our only segment. Our only segment. <laughs> Maybe we'll add something else. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, you go. Okay, so... I am... Uh, was scrolling through Facebook, and a friend of mine posted this article. So apparently... Um, a woman tried to bring a peacock on board a recent United Airlines flight at Newark Liberty International Airport. Yeah. So Mm. here's the thing. She claimed that it was her, um, emotional support animal. This... I'm trying not to laugh at this woman. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's this enormous... It's a peacock. It's a peacock. It's... It's not, a live, it's not a corgi, real okay? Yes. It's not it's not a tabby cat. It's a fucking peacock. And peacocks are mean. They're not like nice birds. Right. Well, they're very territorial, right? Exactly. So she did offer to pay for a second seat for her <laughs> oversized bird, but claimed that she had a right to bring it on board as her emotional support animal. Nope. And, you know, United Airlines was like, yeah, no. (laughs) Um, But it also brings up this debate on the abuse of the the privileges of having an emotional support animal or a service animal. She's ruining it. She's ruining it. And now you can can literally go online, pay 30 bucks and get a cute little certificate and it can be your emotional support animal. It can be any animal you want. Right. And I guess in some ways, that's good, and I want to support this, but also, like, it's too much of a freedom thing that people can take advantage of. And the thing about being an emotional support animal in both the service animals is that you have to have that training. Right. Your pet has to have that training in order to respond to your own emotions, to your actions, to your, bo- to your body language, to your signs in order to save yeah. your life, save your, save, you know, your relationships, whatever, however that's supposed to work. It's not something that just, I, wow, I really love my dog. I'm going to take him to Walmart <laughs> with me. Right. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard debate, but also, yeah. come on. You're fucking peacock. I know. Can it's you imagine going on a plane with a peacock? What would you do if you walked in and there was a fucking peacock in your seat? <laughs> Turn around. Walk out. <laughs> Not going to be able to do please. it. Please. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Could I have the one with no peacock on it? Yeah, can I? Thank you very much. (laughs) So my story, my weird, weird news story uh, is from, uh, I got it off of CNN, a story by Amanda Jackson. And the headline is, Escaped Texas Inmate Arrested Running Back to Jail with Bag of Booze. Food. (laughs) So it was like, what the hell is this? Very nice. Right? So apparently this, um, apparently this prison in, um, Jefferson County, Texas, um... Texas! In Texas. So apparently inmates would, uh, take advantage of this, like, breach in the perimeter or whatever, and they would regularly just, like, leave, get whatever they wanted, right? Narcotics, food, booze, whatever, uh, tobacco, and, uh, including, uh, barbecue sausage and fried chicken. Hell yeah. That he had on him. Hell yeah, let's go to Luby's. And then, the, and then they would, back. right, and then they would, <laughs> it would actually come back, but I just thought it was really funny because it's like, they're not escaping. They're not like, even trying to get away. It's like, they're just trying to bring the comforts of home, like, to prison. <laughs> it's just, like, such a funny concept. I, I mean, I just, we were talking about, like, I feel like it could be an episode of Orange is the New Black. Just, For like, real. I mean, clearly, like, or whatever. You know, maybe if they bring Oz back. Who? The show Oz. Oh. It was a show about prison, and it was rough. It was intense. It was pretty intense. J.K. Simmons was actually in it. it was, uh, he was just talking about it with Bill Simmons on his podcast. Oh. On the BS podcast. The bullshit podcast? The Bill Simmons podcast. Oh. But clearly, this, you know, that's what he was trying to play on. <laughs> Is it full of bullshit? No, it's full of good stuff. Just the best. I'm glad. I love Bill Simmons. I love Bill Simmons. As Bill Simmons says, he is one of the best Simmonses. He's like one up there. It's one of the top five Simmonses. <laughs> what about Gene Simmons? Well, they were talking. Well, that's the other one they mentioned. But it's <laughs> J.K. Simmons and Bill Simmons, so they were like, you know, <laughs> shooting the shit about the Simmonses. I think we're done. I mean, we can be done whenever you want to be done. I want to be done. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys for listening. Yes. Really appreciate it. We, we will it. endeavor to get the next one out on Monday. We are trying to do Mondays now. Yeah. And I think um, I'll get my shit together <laughs> this time. Good. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Good job by you. Oh, God. <laughs> Go. Bye. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.